Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Get ready for old times rock and roll. Well, good evening and welcome to uh, Old Time Rock and Roll. And this is a little bit different tonight. This is Rock and Roll College, and I've done this before, and I want to explain to those of you who are listeners that uh, tonight's show is, is dedicated, and I am using the facilities and, uh, for, and uh, class of a friend of mine named Bruce Marianelli, who um, is a music instructor up in... I'll say it right if it kills me, Alvernia College in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. And he will be uh, leading his class with some uh, discussions and, and uh, questions and answers with me over the next two hours. And uh, what we're going to be doing is just kind of getting started here. Let, let me explain that the idea of this, this uh, college course is the uh, 20th century music and culture. And with that, there is a great deal that, that has to go into this because there are songs that are just there for forever and people have forgotten them. And when even uh, a class like uh, in, in this particular situation occurs, they play Elvis, a little bit of Elvis, and a little bit of Buddy Holly and, and things that are important to rock and roll. But always are forgotten are the the first, the people that were the groundbreakers that nobody ever heard of before, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, and we'll talk a little bit with them later. Right now, I'd like to play some of these songs for you. Here is a group called the Delta Cats, and this one goes back to about 1954, before anybody knew anything about rock and roll or Elvis or anybody else, here's the Delta Cats with, what else, Rocket 88. You've heard the noise they make, but let me introduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's straight, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along. 
Red like the turtle top and the gals on mine. Going with me riding all around town for joy. Now your horn, Raymond, come And don't be lazy, the wheel pulling out about half past eight. Going round the corner and get a bill, everybody in my car's gonna take a little nip. Move on out, oozing and cruising along. Delta Cats and Rocket 88. And this next one, before I take um, my first call, I do want to tell you that everybody thinks that Whole Lot of Shaking Going On was Jerry Lee's first record. And that is not so. Here is the very first recording on Sun for Jerry Lee Lewis. It's called Crazy Arms. All that love I thought was mine 
and I'm afraid that uh, I was I was too grown I was too born among the the 50s rockers to accept a lot of the long hair. Once they got past the ears, uh, I started to to change a little bit on on my music. Even though I love a lot of it, I you know like for example the Doors, uh, even though they weren't you know uh, English per se, uh, but the Doors were were too much. Uh, there, there was, you know, I, I was uh, so squeaky clean that um, I, I saw the doors as as what they were, and I said, just like it is today, I can't see uh, kids idolizing dope addicts, drinkers, carousers. You know, it, it's just not right. And and that kind of, to me, anything that's got to do with music uh, is a mirror of their own society, that's the present day society. So I find it kind of hard to uh, reconcile that sometimes. We had that discussion in class on several occasions, and uh, most of the students are in the same frame of mind that I am with the music, that it, it needs to be of better quality today because what it's publicizing and what it's promoting is not very healthy for our society. Yes, I know, but you know what? They, they have this strange feeling that uh, the teenagers of today uh, have all the spendable income that comes from their own money, you know, because um, that's the thing. The kids have an, uh, an unlimited supply of money. And I'm, I mean to tell you that being a, a teacher like you are, I, I can tell you that um, in, in Florida anyway, those kids, uh, I don't care how poor they are and whether they're on free lunch or anything else, they've got a $100 pair of sneakers on their feet before they step foot into school. Well, you know where that comes from. That's from the parents trying to keep Absolutely. All right, let's get started. Look, I'm waiting for some callers from your class, and let's get started. I'm ready to, to take on their questions anytime you are. Okay, I have a students calling in now, but before they do, I just want to tell you what a great show this is. It's a great uh, uh, source of material. It's, you know, it's fabulous for what I'm doing with this class. The students enjoy listening to it. In fact, I've downloaded um, the previous 144 episodes that you have. I have them on CDs, and I have them in my car. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. I'm, <laughs> I wish I. You know what? It's. I feel like um, Jerry Mathers from Leave It to Beaver. He uh, he's got all this notoriety, all this fame, but no money. He says because I ne he never got a penny of uh, of, of residuals from it. So <laughs> I feel you, that I'll way. Go. But you know, that's life. Yeah, but it's a great resource, and I you know, highly recommend if anybody else is out there teaching even a high school course in pop music, um, college course in early rock and roll, it, this is an unlimited source of um, resource uh, for the class, for the teacher. The material that you have online is phenomenal. There's songs I haven't heard in years, some I've never heard, and I'm waiting to pick your mind later on with the students because growing up in New York City um, in the mid, mid to late 50s, early 60s must have been some kind of experience. So I'd like to get oh, on. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I've got, let's see, um, 9153, and I'm going to put them on right now and just kind of, uh, you know, tell me who you are and what you do and all that stuff, and then we'll, we'll get started with the question. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi, this is Carla Brennan. Well, um, how are you? Good, how are you? Oh, this is a new experience for you, I'm sure. 
So, yeah. all right, well, Carla, you're you're. Um, I don't want to get nosy with age and stuff, but uh, are you, are you uh, just out of uh, high school, or do you have a job, and this is an evening sh- uh, gig for you, or what? Uh, this is an evening gig for me. I am okay. out of high school about 16 years. Okay, so and you're not a kid. <laughs> no, I feel like I am though. Well, that's good. I feel the same way. <laughs> even even on my my uh, walker here, that not, my wife doesn't think that. But anyway, okay, let's let's uh, get to your question if you have one or uh, comments, whatever you'd like to know or talk about. We can do that. Okay, I have a question here on Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, even though he contributed tremendously to rock and roll, do you think that his career would have been as great as Elvis Presley? if he didn't let his marital escapades complicate his personal life? Well, uh, that's a very good question. Um, it, 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 the best way to, to explain that to you is this. Jerry Lee was born to self-destruct. And with all of that, and, and this is amazing, as a matter of fact, my wife is quite a bit younger than I am, and we were out of college, I guess about 10 years ago. We went to see Jerry Lee Lewis perform out of a place called uh, Silver Springs. And he could hardly stand. This man has gone through six different operations. He's been near death several times. And yet, as his latest album says, he is the last man standing. Of all the rock and rollers from, from the original Sun Records, he's the only one still alive. And he was the one that was the most self-destructive, even more self-destructive than Elvis himself. And, and to answer your question, Jerry Lee and his marital escapades were nothing compared to the rest of his life. Jerry Lee would have been in trouble no matter what happened. He would have hit somebody. He would have sang a song that insulted somebody somewhere down the line, he would have gotten into trouble and the same thing would have happened. Now, Jerry Lee's been married five times. Right. And, and Jerry Lee, now, the funny thing is, is, is his career and everything that has happened to him, he should be dead. All right? He, he, uh, his, um, his stomach was completely um, ruptured at one time and they had to go in there. He was very close to death. And all of these things, of course, he, uh, one of his wives ended up dead uh, and never found out who did it. Uh, he has gone through so much in his life. And I just, I really, you know, his, uh, his cousin, Jimmy Swaggart, still today is on, is on television in the evangelist circle. But Jerry Lee was bound for destruction. He got married at 18 the first time. I believe that um, Myra, who was who was 13, was his second or third wife. I can't remember which. And the whole thing that started it all was the fact that they found out that he wasn't really divorced from his previous wife. And the idea of it being his cousin was another thing. But the truth was that Jerry Lee was not much more than a kid himself at that age, and I didn't understand why all this negativity. I mean, you know, in England, for example, in England right now, if you turn on the television, 
uh, even even 20, 25 years ago, you could see, see nudity any time of the day or night. That's okay. But the fact that they said it was his cousin, of course it was his third cousin, and uh, it, wasn't, it was his third cousin's daughter. So it wasn't, any, it wasn't really that. And the fact that he married a 13-year-old is, is enough that it was, it was legal if he wasn't already married. So I guess the best way to put it is that Jerry Lee um, could not have sustained what he was doing. Luckily, country western music, which accepted him and made him a superstar all over again, whereas rock and roll was Jerry Lee's from 1957 through 1960. He was a major country superstar from 1960 up until the 1980s. So uh, then when we realized that Jerry Lee didn't really do anything wrong, uh, we embraced him back again as one of the, the four or five pioneers of rock and roll. But would he have succeeded and been bigger than Elvis? No, because uh, with, with it all, Elvis had this persona, even though it wasn't true uh, at the time it was, that he was more squeaky clean, which Jerry Lee never denied, because Jerry Lee was a drinker and a carouser from the beginning. Elvis wasn't. Uh, so, no, I don't think he could have, he would have gone any further in rock and roll, because by 1960, the rock and roll uh, had changed so much already, and everybody was kind of squeaky clean. And, and uh, so I think that Jerry Lee survived by being country star and then, came back by virtue of just history that showed that he was one of the best. He, so I hope that explains. Yeah. I think that's a long-winded uh, answer, but it's true. It's the best I can give you. Is he still in the music industry now? I, I've just seen him on TV not too long ago, and I, I, he was sitting in front of his piano in his home, and they were doing some kind of a commentary on him, but I didn't catch the whole entire thing. Is he still like making music or involved in the industry at all? Yes, in fact, uh, just last year, he did a uh, an album called Last Man Standing with the greats. He had uh, duets with the greats of rock and roll in the 80s and 90s, uh, Graham Nash and, and uh, quite a few others. Uh, that that album, I w you know what? I am going to put that on tonight, and I'm going to get you something from his Last Man Standing album. And we'll put it on for you tonight. And uh, I'm just making note of that. Yeah, and I think you'll like. Yeah, he did. He has done it. Uh, he has made an album every year. This has been an, an exceptionally um, lucrative album for him. And the truth is, he's he can't get along. He can't get around very much anymore. Um, he is incredibly slow, but he still can play the piano and he can still sing. And he is just as mean and ornery as he was back in the 1950s. Wow. And it's interesting, the way I met Jerry Lee, uh, my friend and I got his autograph originally outside the uh, New York Paramount Theater in uh, 1958. And we were standing there on a side street. Uh, he was in a raincoat. We were in our coats. And uh, all of a sudden, a bunch of teenage girls saw him. And they came running across the street. 
they knocked both my friend and I over, and they tore this poor man's raincoat to shreds and <laughs> ran off with it. And um, actually, I allowed him to wear my jacket oh. back across the street so that so that he wouldn't get cold because he he still has to sing. And I just had to go home and do nothing for another couple of days. Wow, so that's it was a kind great of interesting. story. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for your answer. Um, You're very welcome. Else, while someone else is calling in. Okay, while they're calling in, I'm going to, I'm going to hit, what's that? Are you going to play his, his song right now? I'm going to play a Jerry Lee Lewis song right okay. now, and then I'm going to get last, the Last Man Standing album up for you in a little while. So okay. here's Jerry Lee Lewis while I'm waiting for the next call with uh, the Pumping Piano Blues. Awesome, thank you. I've heard of the mumbo and the boogie too Around the square and the low-down blues All you can listen to me if you really want to rock and roll Well, that's all days away to the old bank of boat Yes, this is jig that you really can't afford That's all been the way to pop and be out of rock Let's all get away to do the puppet piano Let me tell you right now, it really knocks me out, yeah. You get a feeling that makes you want to jump and shout. I'll tell you it's cool, it really knocks me out. So let's all keep jumping to the bumping beat and around. All right, like I said, I was going to play something from Jerry Lee's album, The Last Man Standing. And I figured I'd get someone that would really be understood and remembered by everybody in the class. And, of course, you out there as well. Here is Jerry Lee Lewis singing with Mick Jagger and Ronnie Wood. Here's Evening Gown. You move from where you're sitting out to the door, now you're here. Yeah, I slowly work my way in. If you get on the piano, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Think that I'm crazy 
yourself. Who, who am I speaking with? Amanda. Okay, Amanda. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, man. I'm just I'm, I'm just having a good time. All right. Listen, I, I think I remember you sending me an email, correct? Yes, I did. All right. Well, shoot. Let's hear, let's hear some of those uh, great questions you had. All right. My question was, I was wondering if when you started this business, if there was a lot of competition for old-time radio shows. Absolutely not. Actually, um, the reason that I that I got into this originally was because nobody was doing it. We had um, lost our oldie station, and uh, all the other great big markets have lost their oldie stations because there. And I don't mean to insult anybody around the age of thirty, but most of the program directors of the radio stations around the country are in their 30s, and they're making very little money, but they're making some great decisions. And, and what their decision was is nobody wants to go back that far into music. Okay. So, a um, matter of fact, I spoke to uh, a guy that what he, he calls the True Oldies Channel, which he has on a satellite network, which he beams to a lot of AM stations, and uh, he told me, he said, uh, there is no, that is the kiss of death to play early or mid-50s music. And uh, he says he cringes every time that he even plays somebody like Fats Domino because the money that people don't want to hear that anymore. And I said, that's ridiculous. They do want to hear it. And the, the truth is that that's what, why I became uh, what I am right now, and that is because I am giving people what they want. And exactly. there are a few others on the Internet that do similar shows. Uh, unfortunately, some of them are not licensed to do this, and uh, that's, that's a big thing with me. I, I, am, you know, I have to be licensed by a, a, a ASCAP and BMI to play these records. And, yeah. um, and I think it's important that these gentlemen and ladies and groups get their money and get their um, just rewards for all the years that they put into this business. Um, so when I did this, I, I found that there's a great need for it. And by the fact that it even surprised me when my show went on the air, um, the first week I had no listeners. 
Okay. The second week I had eight. And I, I said, well, at least I know my, my family are listening yet. By, yeah. by the third week, I went to 800. Wow. And I didn't awesome. do any advertising or anything. And by the end of the month, I was up in, the, I was up in about 4,000. And, and from wow. then on, it never stopped. So it, it kind of showed me that there was a need for this. And, you know, this business in itself, I, I told uh, your instructor, I don't make any money off of this. I mean, this is yeah. mostly a, a, a labor of love. And the money is really there to cover the expenses of the, of the licensing fees and uh, the other records that I have to buy so that I can get everything that my listeners want to hear. All right. All right. Any, any other questions you have? Yes. Um, I was going to ask, how did you continue to keep your station the number one old-time rock and roll station over the time? Well, over the past three years that I've been doing this, it's very simple. Uh, I played those records that people want to hear. And sometimes what I do, and I've, and I've done this several times, is I don't play the biggest hits of the individual. For example, I just played Jerry Lee Lewis and something called Pump and Piano Rock. And the truth is, nobody has heard that record. But then everybody has heard a um, whole lot of shaking going on, and they may be tired of it. And the fact that I have hmm, probably 700 Jerry Lee Lewis songs in my collection, um, why not let people hear what else he did? I mean, for those who were there at the time, they'll say, hey, I remember that. I've forgotten it even existed. And for you that, that don't remember the 50s at all, then those, that's, that's saying, well, th this guy really has done a lot of stuff. So the, the whole idea is just to play what they want to hear and then give them a surprise and play what they don't know that you can play. And then, I, of course, another thing is uh, very important is the uh, introductions, the, uh, the, the uh, dedications, and the requests. I take them. If you have a song to request, I will play it. And right. I've got 42,000 songs sitting here on my uh, computer. Uh, which I have digitized every single one of them, and uh, I I'll just continue to play stuff, and uh, the obscure as well as the popular, and that's what's that's kept me in 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 the business, so to speak. All right. Okay, I'm going to switch now, and I'm going to go on. Uh, I have, let me uh, see. I have eight, seven, six. Four, you are on the air. Eight seven six four. Hello, Lee. Hi. Yeah. It's Bruce again. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I gotta tell you, I wish you could see the expressions and the reactions of the students. Their faces. They're 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 they're, they're, they're amazed by this. And uh, one of my students here would like to request a song later on. Sexual healing. Okay. Oh, that's that's in the seventies. I don't usually yeah. do those. <laughs> I know, but that's she's she 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 loves you know some of that music, Marvin Gaye. Well, I'll see what I can do, but I I don't okay. even know because it's, it's mid seventies. It's hard to uh, to say yeah. whether I have it. I understand. 
but I will definitely try. But the looks on their face, age of their face, it's priceless at this moment. You know, even for right. adults in their 30s, this is great. Wow. Okay. Well, okay. I, I got another caller on here, so I'm going to take that one now. Um, let's see. This is 0604. I'm clicking now, and it's not clicking. Come on now. All right, 0604, you're on the air. Hello, Mr. Douglas. Yes. Yeah. Hello, my name is Jessica, and I'm calling with several questions if you have a moment. I've got more than a moment. <laughs> okay. Um, the first question I had, um, is it true that disc jockeys created hits by playing B-sides against record companies' wishes? And if so, could you give me a couple examples? Uh, well, I can, give you an, I can give you more than a couple of examples. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you heard, if you uh, listened to a show I did a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what uh, Mr. Mallory Nelly has asked you to do, but I did a show with, uh, for a guy by the name of Eulen Duvall who happened to be one of the studio musicians for the rock and roll song, probably the best instrumental of the 50s, called Tequila, which I'm sure you heard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, that was one of the ones that uh, never that was really not supposed to be played. Um, but, no, they don't give instructions. See, the, the whole the story with, with um, the record pluggers, as they were called, uh, they would be hired, and, and they say, "Well, let's let's plug this record." Mm-hmm. And they would go in, and they'd say, "Hey, I've got a song by a group called the Champs, and it's called Train to Nowhere, and we think it's going to be a big hit, and we'd like you to play it." Okay, they say, "All right, we'll give it a play."
in the meantime, something that the disc jockeys were fond of doing was turning over the song sometimes because, you know, sometimes they get short, they run short of time, and they turn over the record and say, well, let's see how this one goes. So they turned over this record, and they, and they heard Tequila, and uh, he said, you know, that's got a kind of neat. And then the next minute, you've got the kids calling in on the telephone saying, we love that record, play that again. So now Tequila is getting two and three plays, and Train to Nowhere is getting none. And that was how originally uh, people, the hits started becoming hits. The first thing that happened was they were requested by the disc jockeys because the disc jockeys had the records first. So the kids in those days would call up on the phone and request songs. And that's how they got their initial popularity. Then they would go to the record stores if they liked it and buy it. And, or they would go into a, to a, a restaurant and see if it's on the, on the jukebox yet. Now, this happened with uh, many things. The Big Bopper, for example, his Chantilly Lace uh, started out as uh, the other side, which was uh, something called the Purple People Leader Meets the Witch Doctor, which was actually a chance, which uh, actually the Big Bopper wrote, figured that if the Purple People Leader was a hit novelty song, and the Witch Doctor, which of course was the precursor to uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, was a hit song, that he could do a hit song. But the disc jockey said, well, you know, this is pretty stupid. I mean, it's, we've done this. Why do we want to do it again? So they turned it over because they had promised. And, you know, in several instances, they are, I hate to say this because this may be another question too, they were paid in certain ways to play music. And they said, well, let's at least play the other side and give them some, some uh, play time. And, of course, that was another hit. Chantilly Lace was another huge success. So the, I wouldn't say he did it against the wishes of the record companies. The record companies wanted to sell records, period. Uh, and they didn't care how they did it, honestly. Now, for example, this one is probably the most ingenious. Um, there were two guys by the name of Buddy Knox and Jimmy Bowen. They had a group called the Rhythm Orchids. And... Um, they had they each had a song which was pretty good. One was called Party Doll, and the other one was called I'm Sticking With You. And when they were on this little dinky label, and all of a sudden the, the, the group got picked up by Roulette Records, which was a big, big company in those days. Mm-hmm. And Roulette Records listened to the songs on the other side of both of these records and said, these are crap. Honestly, these are crap. We don't want to do that. We get a... And I don't want to bring them into the studio to do it again. So they said, what we're going to do is we're going to put Party Doll on one side and I'm sticking with you on the other side. And you know what? They both hit number one and they both became million sellers. And, and both guys made a, a big career in music. So I hope that answers that question for you. It did, it did. Could you actually play that song, The Purple People Eater? I, I've never heard that one. The Purple People Eater or The Purple People Eater Eats the Witch Doctor? Uh, no, just The, the Purple People Eater. All yeah, right, The original. Purple People Eater. Yeah. You know what? I'm, why does my pen always run out of ink? <laughs> what, and you know what? I'm sitting here, and I'm actually not only 
writing this down and it's not working, but my pen lights up. So I, I think that's oh. a cool pen. All right, Purple People Eater it is. All right. Oh, well, thank you. I just have, can I just ask one more question? Sure can. Okay. Was there ever a time when performers took it upon themselves to promote their own records? Um, if they weren't having much success before a record company may have signed them, did they go, you know, to record stations or radio stations and ask them to, to play their music? Was that popular? It was in New York City in the 1950s. Uh, in fact, all of the greatest doo-wop groups from, from uh, as a matter of fact, one called Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, actually got in front, would, would stand in front of the um, WINS studios in New York where Alan Freed was, was uh, doing his show and would be out there singing all night long and hoping that Alan Freed would come out and hear their song. And with them was a little Jewish white girl. Can you imagine? Here's a group, here's a group of, uh, of five black teenagers and a little Jewish white girl uh, who wrote the song called Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Mm. And what was even funnier was the white girl uh, is very well known. Her name is Carol King. And uh, she is still one of the greatest songwriters in the business today. But, uh, yes, Alan Freed uh, would, would always listen. As a matter of fact, I know several who actually would stand outside the studio, would just stand outside and beg him to listen. And usually, Alan would make time for almost anybody. He was a, he was a, a very unusual disc jockey, and he really cared about the kids that he played these things for and for these guys. And he tried very hard, and on many, many occasions, he did break records like with uh, Why Do Fools Fall in Love. Just from hearing it outside, he said, that's great. Let's get you into a studio. So, yes, a lot of the uh, groups did if they didn't have anything. Um, it is, was not the best way to do it. Uh, usually, they would go uh, to record companies uh, with these little, their, their songs because there were just so many of them, and there were little record companies springing up all the time. In fact, one of the ideas was get the music and not pay them. And in fact, and I'm going to um, end, end this, uh, this discussion or this talk with you on this one, that um, a guy, a friend of mine by the name of Charlie Gracie, who had a great big number one hit in uh, 1957 called Butterfly.
fly around with somebody new, but I'm crazy about you. And he got a million, and he got a million-selling record, and uh, they never paid him. And he he kept going and asking him for money and asking him for money, and they wouldn't give him anything. So he went ahead and he sued them. Hmm. Little did he know, and he won. But little did he know that it would kill his career, because the owner of the record company was Dick Clark, and and that, in essence, Dick Clark would never allow him again on American Bandstand. And uh, it took almost, well, 30 years for him to be as big as he is again. And that's the unfortunate thing about it. This happened many, many times. Great performers just ran afoul of, of the, uh, the great Dick Clark. Okay. I see there's a whole bunch of callers on. Yes. So yes. I'm going well, thank to... Thank you. All right. Before we get back to our callers, I do want to play some things by the absolute pioneers of rock and roll. Here is Little Richard and Lucille and Your True Love by the one and only Carl Perkins. Thank you. 
um, oh, some of the other groups, but I wasn't too big on that. I'm, that was, uh, I don't know, just, I guess I'm cha- I, my, uh, my taste changed, and I began to realize when my kids started listening to music <laughs> that I was saying the same thing that my parents did. Why are you listening to that junk? So, anyway, I will, I will try to get that on for you, okay? Okay, thank you very All much. Right. It was great talking with you. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, you I met this chick at a kung fu flick and she really was exciting. She had a real dog face, asked me to her place. I said, screaming, that's inviting. When we got there, she said, sit anywhere. So I sat down on a couch. She said, close your eyes. I got a big surprise. The next thing I knew, That sound to me like something out of ins- this Inspector Gadget cartoon show. Doesn't that has a little bit of that? Uh, I don't know that refrain from Inspector Gadget. If you remember that, if you're old enough or young enough, depending on how things are. Here's another one. This is just the opposite of what we just played. Here's Dion and the Belmonts with one of their classic doo-wop songs. Here's No One Knows. I feel And what's more Shall 
of the singers or performers that you got to meet? Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Larry Williams, Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, uh, who I'm going to play tonight. Uh, I did. I did meet Elvis, but not, you know, where I shook his hand and said, hi, my name is back. Um, there's just the um, <clears throat> the Elegance, which were one of the biggest doo-wop groups. Uh, sheesh, my goodness, um, you know when you when you when you start to think, you know it's like trying to remember all your the presidents of the United States in order. Um, most every single one of them, I I have had some contact with. Uh, the ones that I haven't. Uh, was Fats Domino. I know I never, I didn't get to meet, even though I, I did a very strange thing. Uh, I was 13, and my friend was also 13, and we had heard that, that uh, Fats Domino was playing in Coney Island in a, in a place called the Riptide. And people under 18 were not allowed in because it was a, a drinking place. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow my friend and I managed to get in there. I guess uh-huh. uh, we didn't, tr- I think, I don't know if we, penciled in mustaches on our faces or what. But we did get in there, and uh, it was an incredible show. But I think he's about the only one I never met uh, of, the, of the, you know, the real greats. Uh, I've seen all the rest of them, spoken to so many of them, and I, I have a good relationship with a great deal of them even today. Um, did any of them affect how you feel about music? Yeah. I would say Jerry Lee Lewis had a profound um, uh, influence on me. Uh, you know, from, from a guy who cannot play an instrument. Uh, matter of fact, I've, I've always said that I have, I have trouble playing a radio. Uh, it's just something that I have a great deal of, of uh, admiration for because I never had the, the uh, 
guts or the brains even to say, well, I'm going to sit down and learn how to play this guitar I have. Mm-hmm. It, took me, it took me actually 20 years to know what to do with a guitar. And that's when I watched The Who on stage. Uh, and, you know, so other than that, um, but watching him play and perform really had a, an influence on me. And it was very hard for me after that to settle down and listen to people like Dion and the Belmonts, even though I love his records. It was very hard because I started to fall asleep because I'm used to this absolute frenzy that uh, people like Jerry Lee and Little Richard and Larry Williams would, would or Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley would perform on stage. So it was, it was kind of interesting, and uh, I have never, never forgotten those songs. And, you know, it, it's funny to say, but uh, the, the few times that I spoke to Jerry Lee after that, uh, I said, you know, I have, I, when I met him a few years back, I said, you know, I haven't seen you since 1958 when um, we were bowled over by a bunch of teenagers on in the, in the New York City, and he said, "Was that you?" And you know, and he, he even remembered that as as an interesting day in his life, because I think that was the first time that really happened to him. But though it happened many many times after that. Mm-hmm. So you know, and you know, aren't there any any guys in that class? I noticed I have had all the girls on here. Um, yes, there is. One oh, okay. Today. Well, let's get these guys on. To any other questions for me? Um, no, thank you very much for your time. Okay, now before you hang, let's see. I'm going to I'm going to be playing. Let's see. What am I going to be playing? I'm going to be playing something that you probably have never heard, and I want to, I want you to hear it now. This is the original version of something called "Sitting in the Balcony" by a guy by the name of Johnny D, who was better known in the '60s and '70s as John D. Loudermilk. It sounds like a strange name. Here he is with the original sitting in the balcony till the next call comes in. I'm just a sitting in the balcony, just a watching on the movie. Or maybe it's a symphony. I wouldn't know. Don't care about the symphony. Those symbols and the symphony. Just a sitting in the balcony on the very last row. I hold your hand, I kiss you through. The feature's over, but we're not through. Just sitting in the balcony, holding hands in the balcony. Just sitting in the balcony. The very last row Sitting in the balcony, just 
every single disc jockey in the country signed a waiver of immunity and ratted on their, fr on his, on their friends and business associates. Allen refused to do that. That's why he is not alive today. He went, and when they asked him to sign, he says, if you think I'm going to, to uh, tell things about my friends and associates to get myself out of trouble, you're crazy. And he never told, and he was blackballed from radio. He was uh, lambasted through the newspapers, uh, something which he didn't deserve. They gave him all kinds of, of uh, very, very unkind things said about him. And uh, at each of his shows, they harassed the kids. They harassed um, the performers. It was, it was terrible because they didn't want them to... Uh, you know, to get there. And on his last show, almost all of the major stars actually canceled out on his shows except two. Those were Jackie Wilson and Jerry Lee Lewis. Those two stuck with him to the very end. Yeah. And I, I really have to tell you that I stuck with him till he left New York and he uh, he finally got a job in, in, a, in Los Angeles playing uh, music and he was just miserable by then and he uh, he drank probably uh, a fifth of whiskey a day and within four years he was dead that was actually so, part of my another part of my question was about yeah. um the payola scandal and uh was do you think alan was like was it the scapegoat for that and by your answer it sounds like you do oh yes he was the scapegoat and the reason that he was the scapegoat is because he refused because i mean they said all right we'll let you go you can continue doing what you're doing, and, and as they put it, you can continue subverting our teenagers if you will tell on, on the major people that you got all your money from, and he refused. So, yes, he was the scapegoat, absolutely. Right. All right. Um, I'll ask you another one here. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, how, did, how did the death of Buddy Holly and Big Bopper in that plane crash, how did that change the music in the years following? Well, I have to be honest with you. Um, I think it affected me more than it did music. Uh, Buddy Holly was probably one of the most, was a genius. Was You know, like in the same token that you'd say Ray Charles was a genius. He, Buddy Holly was a genius. He knew exactly how to make a song a hit. Mm -hmm. He knew, and he always tried new things. And had he not died, he would be um, still, in some way, in music today. Um, you know, certainly he has. He had a great. He could play a guitar, and you know, you have to realize something when when you have a guy playing guitar that's twenty one, twenty two years old, and he's right. been playing guitars for five years. That's something. You know, then you become adept. You, you become, uh, okay, an okay player after five years. And But like my uh, friend Charlie Gracie, who's been in this business since 1955, he, he's still playing at 72. Now, when you've been playing the guitar for 50-some-odd years, you are, in, you are unbelievable. I mean, you, can, you don't ever even have to look at a, at a string to know what to play. And um, Buddy Holly was that kind of person. And so he, may, it, it was a loss 
to music. Now, Richie Valens uh, also, for an 18-year-old, could play a tremendous guitar. Matter of fact, I'm going to play, uh, to illustrate this point uh, tonight, I'm going to play something which is totally un-rock and rollish. Here's an 18-year-old boy playing a song called Malaguena, which is a guitar uh, piece that if you are not uh, a super guitarist, you could never even function. You couldn't even get to the past the first few lines of it. And I'm going to play that today. So uh, that'll, that's Richie Valens. He was a great guitarist at age 18. And he's, been, and he's been playing since he was 12. The big bopper, on the other hand, was a disc jockey. And he got into this business quickly. He got into it because he wanted to play this silly, he, he thought he could make some quick money on uh, the Purple Pig, the leader meets the witch doctor. Uh, it turned out the other side became the hit, and he went on tour with it. And he had a couple other songs that he also was writing. But I do not think, honestly, and this is not to disparage him or his family, uh, would have made a, a any kind of significant impact on the on the record world at that from what he was doing, because it was really. Uh, if he hadn't died, he would have he would have kind of faded away, in my opinion. He would have gone back to being a disc jockey, and the, the name Big Bopper would have been just like a Wolfman Jack. He would have been a, an absolute fabulous disc jockey. But I don't think he would have made any any uh, big impact in the music world because he really wasn't a singer, and he wasn't a musician. So that's the best thing I can tell you about that. But uh, uh, Richie Valens... Absolutely great instrumentalist and guitarist, and Buddy Holly absolutely would have changed music again. All right, here's the song I promised. It's Richie Valens playing a flamenco guitar electrified with Malaguena.
let me look at this. 6490. All right, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? I am great. What can I do for you? Uh, this is Marcin. I just have a couple questions for you. Sure. And I got okay, more who? answers than you have questions. <laughs> okay, who is your all-time favorite artist? All right, now I I got to give you kind of different choices. All right, my all-time favorite performer and artist was was is a tie between Jerry Lee Lewis and Jackie Wilson. Okay. Those were my my two favorites. Okay, and, okay. and uh, I couldn't put I couldn't put one above the other because they're totally different. Right. All right, any Okay. Uh, yeah. And was there anyone specifically inspired you to get into the music business to do broadcasting? Uh, except for Alan Freed, nobody. Actually, I got to <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you who inspired me to get into this business. Understand that I was uh, big. I always loved rock and roll music, and I love music. But I didn't get into that business. I was I was like Mr. Marianelli. I was a teacher, and the the only thing I had done before I was a teacher. Now don't laugh, kids back there. I I was a professional wrestler. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. I told you not to. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, when I got when I uh, finally went to went to college, I got a degree in advertising, and I kind of got away for a while from both wrestling and music. And uh, I was married for quite a few years, and uh, and it wasn't. And I found myself really kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere. Uh, when when I married my second wife, she became actually the person who pushed me back into everything I love doing. And actually, she pushed me first back into pro wrestling and because she wanted me to have an outlet. Because when you're a teacher for as many years as I was, uh, it, it could take a toll on you. And I'm talking right. about, you know, I'm talking about middle school kids. Right. And it, it took a lot out of me. And, and this was my, my outlet. So I'd go on, you know, out in the ring and I'd, rant and rave and carry on and, you know, like pro wrestlers do. And then um, I was doing a radio show, a wrestling radio show, a talk show, and uh, she, my wife didn't like the idea that I was going a really a long distance every single Monday night for three years. And, and she uh, said, you know what, you need to stop it. Why don't you do it here? And I started doing the show here. She bought me equipment. And the next thing I know, I said, you know, with, with equipment like this, she would say to me, why don't you do what you love? Why don't you go back and play all those great 50s and 60s songs that you love so much? <clears throat> so I did, and, and, and that's why I am back where I am. Mostly it's that's... all my wife, so she's the one that, that inspired me. Hey, we wanted the class wants to know what your wrestling uh, name was. Well, it is and still it was and still is Lee Douglas, <laughs> just like my name now. Uh, that's that is the name I used uh, when I went under a mask. Uh, it was whatever color mask they had. If if I was doing a if they had a black mask, I was the black mask. If they had a red mask, I was the red mask. But mostly it was under my own name, and I never was very big. Believe me, uh, 
I was always one of those guys that got beaten up by all the big guys. Well, did you meet anybody for, uh, like professional, like Hulk Hogan or any, any of them? Uh, I've, I've met about all of them. Really? Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, I'm sure the names won't mean anything to you, but I, uh, I know most of every one of them. I, I know the, uh, the, the Funk Brothers, uh, and I don't know if you remember them, but um, uh, there's a guy that's wrestling for the WWE now that I worked with for three years. Uh, his name is uh, MVP. And, that name sounds uh, familiar. Yeah, and he's uh, he's on SmackDown, I think. And uh, well, I've done a lot of that stuff. So yeah, I I'm more or less uh, I, I keep my uh, my hands in everything that I do. And I'm I, right now I'm writing and uh, I write the storylines for um, a couple of uh, sh- um, shows and and uh, wrestling organizations, just local in Florida. I don't do anything major or TV anymore or anything, but. Uh, you know, I'm out there, but it was That's all part interesting. Of a, yeah, it's it's kind of a great career. I had a lot of fun. All right, now I think that Bruce is telling me I got to get off with you guys. So uh, let's see, who do we have left here? I, I want to thank you for that. One more caller. Yeah, I think so. Now, which you're six four nine zero, right? Yes. Okay, I'm I'm going to get on with seven four four three, and thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, 7443, you are the last caller. Wait a minute. Hold on. I clicked you twice. You went on and off. Okay, let me get you on. Right, you're on now. Hi, my name's Stacy. Hi, Stacy. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Oh, well, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm just about to, when I finish with you guys, I'm going to go have some dinner and then edit the show and put some more songs into it. So well, that's good. Yeah, what's your, what's, uh, your question? My question to you is, how does music influence your life? I know it, how, how it influences mine, but um, how does it influence your life? Well, I think probably the best way to explain that is that I have uh, alienated my, my own kids and my stepdaughter uh, because all they heard any time they were in the car with me was 50s and 60s music. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I, I never grew tired of it, and uh, it's just something that, that um, made me what I am today. I mean, there, there's, you know, people of of various types. I mean, you can say the name Elvis and you know who we're talking about. Right. Okay. And you can say even the name Beaver and they know who you're talking about. And, you know, and if you said you live in Mayberry, they know exactly what you're talking about. And that's because these times were, were so different that they became more than just music or musicians or television shows, they became what's, what's considered an icon. And, and there were so many of them back in the 50s and 60s. It gave TV land what they are today. They, they, they made a fortune, basically, on old 50s and 60s television. And every single one, I, I think there's so much about 50s and 60s music which is still permeates our lives today. I mean, if you will look at most of the the movies, I mean, if you, uh, did you see uh, Indiana Jones movie? No, I didn't. Well, why not? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's the best movie of the summer. <laughs> I don't know. All right, we'll make you go out and see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, the first thing that happened is what was playing on that Indiana Jones movie when you opened it up? 50s rock and roll. Right. Because it took the 50s, it started in the 50s. And almost every uh, 
movies, so many of the movies in the last few years, every time they have to go to an old song, they pick a 50s or 60s number. So there's a great deal of that. It just didn't influence me. It influenced the writers and producers and directors. That's why you have the great, the greats like uh, of today that that uh, always incorporated in some way um, what's what's uh, the Star Wars uh, saga was done by a guy that really brought back his youth of the 40s and 50s and uh, with. Uh, Serials and, and space movies, and all of this brings it into today's light. So all of these great producers, and even all of the musicians of today and of the 80s and, and 90s, other than the, I'm not talking about the rap artists now, but the, the other musicians of the 80s and the 90s, all they remember is the guys from the 50s and the 60s. And this is what they always talk about. When you talk to a guy... Um, uh, that was what, like uh, Graham Nash, from uh, who's a great, great performer in his own right. All he th- all he talks about is Charlie Gracie, Buddy Holly, Eulen Duvall, people that he grew up on. And this has kept, although it's different music, it has kept that alive because these men, like myself, are were totally uh, shaped by fifties and sixties rock and roll. Okay, well, thank you. Okay, so that's, that's about, that's that about all I can question. All right. Thanks well, thank so you. much. Thanks so much. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, I think I've got back Bruce on the air. Hello? Shape by 50s and 60s. You done? 8764. Lee? Yeah. It's Bruce. Okay, I kind of thought it was you. <laughs> uh, this is This is really great. Uh, if you get, if, I don't know how much time you have left or can dedicate to this, but you know, like the class, you have some idea what it was like growing up in New York City during the fifties. Uh huh. And um, did you know cousin? Do you know cousin Brucey? I don't know him because. Okay. Uh, well, l- let me explain the 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 way kids felt back in the fifties and sixties. Uh, Bruce Morrow was a God. How do I put this? He was a a second-rate disc jockey. Um, the only disc jockeys in New York at, at that time were of, of any that, that were really big with the kids. In the Afro Afro-American neighborhoods, it was uh, Jocko Henderson and Bruce Raymond, and in the white areas, it was Alan Freed and Peter Tripp. Now that was it. Uh, then when Freed left, and Peter Tripp was also another one that left because of the the scandal, um, and the the black music became more and more in the 60s uh, part of the pop music culture. The Raymond left, and so did Jocko Henderson leave, and that left it to to a guy by the name of Murray the K, who was right. probably the most despised disc jockey by the kids. Matter of fact, when we would go to a show, as soon as he came out on stage, I don't care how much money he made, the kids would throw things at him. <laughs> they That's really dis- they disliked him. He was just a phony, and they knew it. You, the kids always knew it. And Bruce Morrow was another, and I don't want to say phony, because he's still working, he's a very nice guy, 
the same he, was, he came in after about the time of Murray the K. And Murray the K, of course, was off the air for another stupid thing he did. Uh, he he went ahead out and, and um, he uh, came back one night and he called the police because somebody had broken into his house. And um, so they the they hear, oh, Murray Decay, we know that name. And the uh, police came running down, and the uh, reporters came running down, and the, and the picture in the, in the Daily News the next morning was Murray Decay and his wife come home to an apartment that was ransacked by, by uh, thieves. Only trouble is, is Murray Decay's wife was out of town, and here's a picture on the front page of the Daily News of his <laughs> mistress, I guess, and that killed him. <laughs> yeah. So... And then with all of those gone, Bruce Morrow came in with this Cousin Brucey nonsense, which uh, actually got him an older audience and never did get, a, you know, a, a, one of those in-person shows or anything like that. Because by this time, the rock and roll kid, uh, people were making stats of money, and uh, you couldn't make any money doing one of those local shows anymore. And uh, so Bruce Morrow just became Cousin Brucey and... Uh, just played music for the next 25 years, and that's about all I could say about that. He's on satellite radio now, correct? It's the same one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I don't want to take too much of your time, because I know you've got to edit, and you want to get to put some music in to this program, right. and yes. I want to thank you. Well, thank it. you, and I thank all of your, of your uh, students, and uh, remember, we'll be on after midnight tonight with the full show. Okay, and if you can, right. maybe you can uh, Run Around Sue and La Bamba by uh, Richie Valens. And uh, run through by Dion. Okay. Okay. All right. Speak to you soon. Thank you, Lee. Have a good night. And again. All right. Good night. Bye bye. Appreciate it. Bye. Well, I always keep my word. And right now, I'm going to play for the class. I'm going to play Perry Como and Catch a Falling Star. And then uh, also requested tonight, Sheb Woolley and the Purple People Ear. <laughs> Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, save it for a rainy day. For love may come and tap you on the shoulder some starless night. Just in case you feel you want to hold her, you'll have a pocket. Get full of starlight, catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Save it for a rainy day. For love may come and tap you on the shoulder some starless night. And just in case you feel you want to hold her, you'll have a pocket full of starlight. Pocket full of starlight. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket. Save it for a rainy day. For when your troubles start multiplying, 
they just might It's easy to forget them without trying With just a pocket full of starlight Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Never let it fade away Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Save it for a rainy Save it for a rainy day. Save it for a rainy day. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky, but a one long horn. One big eye, I come Mr. Shaking and I said, It looks like a purple people eater to me. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. A one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. One-eyed. Oh, well, he came down to earth and he lit in the tree. I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, don't eat me. I heard him say in a voice so gruff. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, what's your line? He said, eating purple people and it sure is fine. But that's not the reason that I came to land. Before. 
really had a wonderful time tonight talking to Bruce and all his his uh, little his students. I say little students, you know. <laughs> to me, they're little. Uh, I've been around for so many years, and uh, just just hearing people that sound about the age of my uh, my stepdaughter make me <laughs> uh, make me wonder. Anyway, I have had a great time. I want to thank everybody over at Alvernia College in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Appreciate it. Hope we can do this again, Bruce. Anytime you just call on me and we'll get a chance to do it. And next week we're going to do some more very interesting shows I think you're really going to enjoy. More old-time rock and roll from the greats from the 50s and 60s. Until we meet again, take care of yourself. Have a very nice rest of the week. This is Lee Douglas for everybody here at Old Time Rock and Roll. That's a wrap. See you later, alligator. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.